This is the absurd journey of three church planners reintroducing familiar ideas in unfamiliar ways. This is the Bless Up Podcast. All right, welcome to the Bless Up Podcast. This is episode one. I am Rachel Hunka, joined by my co-hosts here, Corey Hunka and James Thomas Talbert. Um, we are the three church planters who are going to attempt over the course of these episodes to reintroduce some familiar ideas in unfamiliar ways. Um, so welcome. What we want to do is just share a little bit of some of the strange things that we have experienced over the course of church planting, pastoring, all of that. And so I want to start off by asking the question, what is the most absurd thing that has happened to you since becoming a pastor? Can we just stop at the beginning here and acknowledge that the idea of first off being a pastor, but second off, like planning your own church is absolutely absurd. Absolutely. hundred percent. That that flat out is just, yeah, that that's absurd. Yeah. In and of itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's such a, it's such a, uh, a weird title to have and to like tell people, um, because I really do think that it's like, you know, I just told somebody the other day, I don't think that I would be a pastor anywhere else. I don't think that I'm a pastor because God told me to be a pastor. I think that, I think that God, uh, I'm a pastor because of what God was doing at third street, which is, which is where I pastor now. Um, and that was the role he had me play is having me play there. Like, I don't think that it's like, it's certainly not something that I saw after and absolutely never something I actually thought that I would go into. No, never in my life did I have this dream or desire to be a pastor's wife or a co-planter. None of that. None of that. Yeah. And for us as citizens in Akron, it's definitely the idea, like, I hate calling myself like a church planner because unless Jesus sends me a text message, I am not planning another church. <laughs> Amen. So, Amen. I, like, I'm, I view myself as, like, yeah. a pastor of what happened. Like, it is very much so, like— <laughs> that's, a, that's a better way of saying it. I'm, I'm the pastor of what happened. <laughs> I'm the pastor of what happened. Uh, it was very much—it very much so is and very much so was at the beginning a community garden with many planters— I just happen to be like the planter that talks. So like, <laughs> I'm the ta- I'm the talking planter. I'm the one who's explaining like what's happening in the ecosystem that we created. But yeah, the idea of even being called a church planter, yeah, I try to erase that from bios yeah. as much as I can. Yeah. So what? So what then? When you do have to tell people, uh, I'm a pastor at so and so. What is, uh, what, what's, what's the general reaction, uh, you get? Um, well, first off, like it's always followed by lead pastor. Like it's a question. It's like (laughs) question mark. So like, I'm like, yeah, I'm the pastor at Citizens Akron. And they're like, lead pastor. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, I'm the lead pastor at Citizens Akron church. Like I'm the lead pastor. I don't know if it's probably age, but. That's like normally the question that follows, but yeah. How about you? Yeah. See, so this, so this for me goes into the, to the question that, that you asked, which is what is the most absurd thing 
that's happened to you since becoming a pastor is like, I don't know what it is. And maybe, maybe it's just me. Right. Um, but, but there's this thing that happens where I, I think people assume that if you bring up, I'm a Christian or I go to church or, you know, I love Jesus or whatever. Like if you bring that up, that it's an automatic conversation killer. Like I've now ruined any hope of relationship that I've had with this person. Um, but my experience has been the exact opposite where I can think of, uh, I can think of, uh, specific instances, right? So like the one that I usually cite is uh, I'm at a Cavs game, uh, sitting in, sitting in nice seats. We're just, uh, my friend Garrett and I are just diagonal, uh, to Chloe Kardashian over here seats that were, that were gifted to, to Garrett. And he was nice enough to bring me along. This guy that's sitting next to us is, is, uh, drinking heavily and very much enjoying himself in that regard. And, uh, through the course, through the course of the game and through, you know, after, after a few beers, uh, he's, he's feeling very talkative. Uh, he's, he's chumming it up with everybody, talking to everybody. What's up? What's your story? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and he starts talking to me. And at this point I begin like dreading what I know is coming. Like I know eventually he's going to ask me the question. He's going to ask me, so what do you do? Like, I know that that's coming. And so I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to have a day off. I'm trying to relax. I'm trying to watch the Cavs. Like this is when LeBron was still in Cleveland. And so, you know, there was actually something to watch. And I was excited uh, to be to be at the game. And sure enough, uh, the question comes up. So what do you do? And I had a decision to make. Uh, I could lie and say, I don't know, something completely off the wall, or I could just be truthful. And so I told him, I said, well, I'm, I'm a pastor at a, at a church in Canton. And this dude's whole demeanor completely shifts. And he, I mean, it could have been the alcohol, right? But completely just starts sobbing and immediately tells me his entire life story. And specifically his story, like, with the church and Sobered church up, hurt. Man, real quick, right? Sobered my fun time up too. And, <laughs> and, and he starts telling me his life story. More often than not, I would say almost every time, like I could go through a million instances where when people find that out, they want to tell me their story. They want to tell me the story of, of what, what their experience with God has been like, or mo most specifically their experience with the church has been like. And so it's, it's become almost this humorous thing to me is like, I, I feel like I've become this walking confessional once people find out that I'm a pastor, it's like, actually, they have the opposite reaction. They want to tell me everything. Um, and that leads me to believe that that contrary to what the, the narrative that we spin is people are still are still hungry for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like, I think people are are longing for something. And even though there have been. Um, you know, the church, the people in church has, have not been perfect. Um, and there's been a lot of church hurt. People are still desperate for something that gives them hope. And I think that internally people still believe that there is a God who, who hopefully gives, gives hope. And so, yeah, so that's been, that's been the most absurd thing that's, that regularly occurs, uh, to me since becoming a pastor. And what's so wild about that is the idea that like people who don't know Jesus are still desperate for the gospel. They're still desperate for hope. There's still something inside of them that is reaching towards Jesus. And man, like, I think it's that 
our hunger for people to know Jesus, like, is not matching, like, the hunger of the outside world for, mm-hmm. like, people to know Jesus. Man, if those joints could intersect, like, what dopeness would happen? Man. Goodness gracious. Yeah. I don't think, uh, I think it was years before I even accepted the idea that I was possibly pastoring anything. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a lead pastor in the sense that you two are, but um, I have spent all these years doing ministry alongside both of you. And there were so many times where I'd be in a room with both of you. And the only person being engaged in conversation is you guys. And for years, I felt like, oh, well, it's age, as you said, um, even though I'm older than both of you. Uh, But I felt like it was age. Then I was chasing around kids or like I had newborns on my arms, on my hips. And so I'm like, oh, people are just kind of leaving me out of this conversation because they know I got to chase kids. And then my kids got grown. I mean, grown enough to where I don't have to take them everywhere. And I realized I was still being left out of every conversation. And it wasn't until uh, about a month ago that I realized it doesn't matter that I went to seminary. It doesn't matter that I got my master's. It doesn't matter that I preach regularly. It doesn't matter what I write, what I contribute to discussions. It doesn't matter. The fact that I am a woman constantly gets me left out of conversations. A couple weeks ago, I was on a meeting and I was so confused. I was having this meeting with somebody about the Absurd Conference. Um, we're all a part of that. It's a conference in uh, in Canton, Ohio, where we discuss racial reconciliation. I'm the founder and director of the conference. But the man that I held a meeting with was consistently only addressing the other man yep. that I was on a call Yikes. with. And I kept sitting there thinking, I'm answering his questions. And then at the end of the meeting, the man I held this meeting with said to me, I would love to have a discussion with, uh, with the guys that are ahead of this, if you could set that up. And I realized that he thought I was the secretary. He yeah. thought I was a secretary. And I left that meeting and went, oh, my gosh. That that's what's been happening all these yeah. years. It had nothing to do with my age. It had nothing to do with kids. It had everything to do with the societal view of women and what we bring to the table in the church. So would you say, well, you kind of just answered it right there in that last part of that sentence, but expand upon that. Like, would you say that you noticed that prior to working in and with the church? And do you think that there's like a correlation with that? Like, do you think that you noticed beforehand that people talked to you differently or said things to you differently because you were a woman? Um, or like, is that a recent revelation since being a part of the church? Um, and do you think that there's like, those thoughts are connected? So I, I entered the ministry world in 2009. So it was 11 years ago. I entered the ministry world when I graduated college. And I can honestly say that in my upbringing and what I saw in my home and what I experienced prior to that, I never felt inferior because I was a woman. I only have brothers, so it's not like I was raised in yeah. this hyper-feminine house and most of my cousins are even men. Um, and so it's not that I was you know, raised in a household where you know, feminism was, was preached everywhere. Uh, it was that I was raised in a business house 
Um, my mom is extremely intelligent. My aunts run their own businesses. Um, and so I, I never thought that being a woman made me any less than anyone else. I never experienced that kind of behavior or treatment from people until I became actively working in the church. Hmm. Yikes. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. That's, that sounds like that might need to be an episode later. Yeah, we got we to gotta double back on that. You can get a shirt that says, I am not your secretary. <laughs> it can, it can yes. match my shirt that says, I am not your Negro. They, there can be, <laughs> they can be matching shirts, same color. Amen. I feel like since becoming, all right, so being Corey's wife, I feel like nine times out of 10, if people can't get a hold of him, they call me. Like I am the keeper of his schedule and the keeper of all things Corey. And I'm like, I don't, it's not my turn to watch him. I got kids. Like I'm trying to figure out how to do uh, online kindergarten. I don't have time to watch him too. Like call him. Somehow. Some, somebody should watch me though. <laughs> I do. I need a general manager. That's James's job. In my life. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah. I think I would have to say for me, Probably the most absurd thing, I'm probably not going to answer this question, but the most absurd thing has literally been like the level of absurdity of the whole journey. Yeah. Like, and I think the absurd thing is that I like learned finally in this journey that if absurd things are happening, that God is probably absent. Like if there's not like deeply absurd things happening, then there's probably like, it's probably not God. Mm. Like it's probably me. And like from the very beginning, like we set, we set out to plant the church and you know, you just don't know what you don't know. So I'm like, yeah, we're going to plant this church and I'm going to get married in the same year. And <laughs> the Cavs won the NBA final. So I should have known something was a little off. Like Cleveland actually won. <laughs> I should have known, like, I'm so happy that Cleveland won. And yeah, I should have known something was, it was a different year, but Yeah. So we get married, we plant the church, we start a community development corporation, we launch a coffee shop, I start coaching football at Garfield High School, we're making all these dope connections like into the neighborhood, into the community, God's doing real dope stuff at Citizens and at the well, and people are coming to the coffee shop, we're engaging the homeless, like all these dope spaces are being created by which we're able to like connect with people who don't know Jesus and like just be like a gospel presence in those spaces. I come home from a football game three months after we got married. My wife's like, we're pregnant. Yeah. I'm like, well, here we go. So like in the midst of like the whole first year, like we got married, like we're having a baby. I thought the wedding shower had just ended, <laughs> but like the baby shower, like was right on his heels. And it's just like, all this stuff like happened at once. And then as we get into our first year, like all this absurd stuff just keeps happening. Like, yeah, I got some, yeah. My worship leader at the time just came out with some coming out news and it just like went crazy. So I'm like, dang, like, well, there's my lead vocalist. And from that to just a myriad of things, like, it was just crazy. Like a woman in our community, like passed out and like nearly died. We're in the hospital for like two months praying. And yeah, we seen God like miraculously like heal her. Like she should be dead. Like she had a heart, uh, she had a heart disorder that athletes get when they pass out and die on the field. Mm. But like 
over the course of some months, like we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and we seen God like do the miraculous. But man, as I look back, like it's all been absurd. But as I like, as I think about the scriptures, like I just find a peace in that, like, yeah, where absurd things are happening, there's God. Mm-hmm. And I have to believe that he's just been in the whole process because here we are mm-hmm. nearly four years later in the middle of COVID. <laughs> still ready, standing. Still standing. Kind of. <laughs> a little more gimpy than we were before, you know but definitely still standing. Still standing. Maybe with no shoes, but still standing. <laughs> Where absurd things are happening, there is God. I like that. Yeah, we should steal that. That should be a sticker or something. <laughs> yeah, man. It's just, yeah. I think where the absence of absurdity is, there you find like the absence of the divine. Like, and there's the mystic in me speaking, but like, yeah, yeah. I think I think it's incredible that you're able to that you're able to identify like how chaotic that that first year especially. But I mean, you we could we could each tell the story of all of every year and every year <laughs> leading up to it and paint an equally as chaotic picture. But in the midst of that, you're still able to identify. Mm-hmm the movement of the Holy spirit. Like how often is it that ra- that when we see the, that picture of chaos, we immediately become overwhelmed, discouraged, and just overall like want to, want to pack up our tent and go home. But in all reality, like the peace uh, that is happening in the midst of all of that is God. Mm. And, um, Man, if if for no other el- if for no other reason we did this podcast uh, for that for me to hear that today, like I, like I'm fighting that today, so that was that was that was good good for me to hear. Let me ask this question: So we all have these ridiculous things that have happened to us, um, some discouraging, some comical, um, but in ministry, it seems like around every corner there's somebody waiting to take you down. Mm-hmm. Um, and you even feel that, like, I know when I was running from the church in, in the opposite direction, as far as I could go, I felt like there was always something around the corner waiting to take me down. Mm-hmm. And um, ultimately, that's what led me back to God. But that same stuff keeps happening. And so let me ask you this. What is it that keeps you pastoring? What is it that keeps you going forward when so much is just trying to take you out of the knees. I don't know. I I keep trying to get out of it. I don't I don't know. <laughs> Every, my journals, my my prayer journal is just full of full of me like, God, is this really is this really what you got for me, man? Like can you teach me how to like do code so I can go work for a tech company or something <laughs> and wear real dope cardigans and Jordans every day. Like but I, but I think the I mean, the reality of it, the reality of it for me is like every time I've tried to like take a different turn out of it and yeah, some wisdom from one of my mentors, like he sat in a room of room of us, man, we were maybe 20, 21 and he looks at us and he goes, if there's anything else you can do, I want you to go do it right now. Yep. He's like, if there's anything else that you that you can do, you can see yourself doing. He's like, I want you to go do that or go try that yep. first. And man, like for me, it's just been over the last decade a consistent, like, yeah, John six moment, where the crowd walks away after Jesus is like, yo, drink my flesh, or drink my blood and eat my flesh. Unless you do that, you have no part of me. 
And then, like, the crowd turns and leaves, but the disciples look at him and say, where else can we go? Mm -hmm. You have the Mm -hmm. words of life. And I think for me, it's been a consistent, like, even when I've tried to, like, duck out with the crowd, like, something in something in me pulls and tugs and says, like, like, where else can I go? I agree wholeheartedly. I think that I think that for me, whenever whenever I get that that little itch uh, to to run away and hide and never ever come back ever, <laughs> um, I I I have I've developed the discipline now um, after you know several years of this to to stop and ask myself the question: What am I doing that God didn't ask me to do? Mm. Um, because because when I know, like when I have those chaotic moments or chaotic seasons right now is one of them. Um, when I have those seasons, it's crazy when I'm doing the things that God asked me to do, it's crazy how peaceful I feel even in the middle of all the, of all the mess. Right. But when I don't feel peace, when I feel stressed or when I feel like I'm just pushing too hard or I'm about to crash or I get sick or whatever, I stop and I ask myself, like, what am I doing that God didn't ask me to do? Because what I've come to understand about God is that as long as I'm faithful to do what he has asked me to do, he is faithful to keep me. He is faithful to sustain me. And so if I don't feel kept and I don't feel sustained, odds are I'm doing something out of pocket or my balance of things that like uh, that that God has gifted and, and compelled me to do versus the stuff that maybe he didn't gift me and he didn't compel me to do. That balance has has come out of whack. And there's some things that are on my plate that God's up there like, yo, when did I tell you to do that? Like, when, when did I tell you to speak on that? When did I tell you to, to, to step out on that? When did I tell you to work on that? Like, you ain't good at no spreadsheets. Like, give that off to somebody else and stop mm. doing that. Like, like <laughs> you know, there's odds are it's just it's something that I'm doing that God didn't ask me to do. Somebody touch your neighbor and say he'll keep you. <laughs> we need to pass the offering plate here. <laughs> he'll keep you. I feel like I feel like there's always two reasons I want to leave. Um one is because I'm so overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And the second is because I'm so sick of people and their garbage. Here, here comes the introvert. Here comes the introvert <laughs> coming out. For real. It's, oh, I'm either so overwhelmed or I am just so sick of people. And what I've come to realize when I'm overwhelmed is I, I have started praying in those moments when I feel super overwhelmed. And I'm just like, how is this even going to happen? Is this even going to work? Why am I even doing this? Whatever it is, I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I say, give me that and if not faith. Mm-hmm. Give me the and if not faith. Mm-hmm. The faith that says, hey, God, this is how I want all of this to turn out, and this is what I want, but and if not, you are still good. Mm-hmm. And I get so calm after I pray for that. And the second is this truth that I realized when I was processing my own life and my own garbage years ago. And it was that when I left the church, I didn't actually hate Jesus and I didn't actually hate his church. I was holding the sins of broken people as equal with the character of God. And when I realized that and when I stopped doing that is when I suddenly don't hate people anymore. Man. Isn't it a miracle? Yeah. And you know what's crazy? Like, this idea, like, deconstruction is, like, so huge right now. Like, 
yeah, all of us having done like college ministry in some way, form or fashion, like over the past decade, like every like person who grew up in evangelicalism, who's like 25 and under is deconstructing in some way, right. form or fashion. Like right. they're deconstructing their faith. But like in the various conversations I have about deconstruction, what's wild is like most people are upset at the church. Mm-hmm. First off, they're not upset at God. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. upset at the church. Right. Mm-hmm. And for me, like, I don't even know if they're upset at the church that Jesus is talking about in John 16. Ooh, come on. I don't know yeah. if they're upset at the ecclesia. I think they're upset at, like, the empire. I think yeah. they're upset at, like, evangelicalism that's been yeah. co-opted with, like, political parties. Mm-hmm. I think they're upset with CEOs. I don't even know if they're upset with, like, pastors. Yep. Because when you expose them to, like, a community of people who are seeking and running after Jesus, who are loving each other, who are living on mission, oftentimes they find themselves, like, in the center of that, like, closer to Jesus than they've ever been before. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I don't, like, I don't even know if, like, people are really upset with the church. I think they might be upset with, like, these buildings with CEOs. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good. I think, I think we just need to introduce, you know, uh, help, help introduce the language to be able to, to say it that way. Right. Wasn't Mm. it, uh, was it, was it Dr. Edwards that said, that said she talked about, uh, the role of the pastor, Dr. Corey Edwards, Mm -hmm. uh, sociologist at Ohio state talks about the role of a pastor and what we've done in America is we've made them what she calls preaching CEOs. Yes. And, and, you know, basically a pastor in America means you got to have all these executive skills. You got to, you got to be able to lead the staff team. You got to be able to do the the financial updates. You got to be able to, you know, do all these, all these marketing things and lead the team and yada, yada, yada. But then also, man, that message on Sunday better be on point Mm -hmm. because if it's too many, if it's too many uh, singles and not enough home runs uh, there in, in a month or two span, uh, you know, you're on the hot seat. Uh, uh, but also make sure you keep an eye on the money and make sure you keep an eye on all these things. And we've turned them into preaching CEOs. Well, who's not gotten mad at a CEO once or twice in their life. Right. Like, right. like, and when we ask pastors to do, to do these things, um, we're asking them to do, uh, potentially we're asking them to do more than what God has asked them to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I think back to to Acts uh, Acts chapter six, right? Correct me if I'm wrong on any of these references. Like Acts chapter six, where uh, where Peter says, "Look, do you want me to do you want me to preach the word, or do you want me to to look after you know the orphans, the widows, the sick, etc." Like, no, if you want me to preach the word, like, let me get Stephen in here. Let me get, let me get, you know, another council in here and they'll take care of your people. And I'm going to go about my business of preaching the word. Now, that's not to say that you should, you know, if you're a pastor, you should preach and preach only. Like, I'm not, I'm not going that far. Right. But, but it is to say that we've taken, we've taken so many roles and thrown it up all up into one. And then when even one of those balls gets dropped or even one thing goes, goes slightly, you know, uh, off. It's it's oh geez I can't do this anymore I gotta I, I gotta go and this is what's wrong with the church and this is what's wrong with God and this is what's wrong with religion and this is what's wrong with Christians and this is what's wrong with and you're like look man I'm just bad at spreadsheets like I'm sorry it's crazy too like when I think about growing up in the house that I grew up in my dad ran a business he's like vice president or something um, I forget he had a lot of roles over time and but that's where he's landed and so he runs a business. In my house growing up, I don't ever remember my dad bringing home work to do in the evenings. And if he was traveling somewhere cool, 
He would take us kids with him. We would go to all these meals and all these dinners with him, with his clients, with stuff he was doing. It was fun. And he would work, but he would take us with him. And his work never had to come home with him. Being married to a pastor, I have to sit this man down and be like, I don't care what everyone needs. You can't work this many hours. You're you're going to cease to exist. Mm -hmm. You're going to end up hating everyone. You're going to hate your job. You're going to hate everything that you have to do. You're not going to be able to preach. And your family's not even going to know who you are because people are demanding so much of you. And there's so much that you have to keep doing. It's, it's crazy. Like my father running a business, running a business had better, safer boundaries for our household than what people expect of pastors. I mean, I'll watch him not answer his phone or intentionally leave his phone somewhere so that he can have time with his kids and he'll come back to it. He's got a hundred messages and he's, and people saying, Hey, I need you right now. And it's like, we, we are, we are driving our pastors into the ground. And I think that might be like, yeah, new answer. The tightrope is what's most absurd. That's the most mm. absurd thing that's happened. It's trying to consistently like walk the tightrope mm -hmm. of, okay, like I know this is what it means to be a healthy pastor. And I know this is what it means to lead a healthy community. I know it's not about like, the numbers on Sunday. Like, I know it's not about like, yeah, how well we're like hitting our budget objectives. I know it's not about like how tightly we're working the strategic plan. Like, I know it's not about these things versus like knowing and actually like resting in Jesus, doing the right things, taking small steps, continuing to like plant and water and trusting God to give the increase. Like, Walking that tightrope is like crazy because it truly is a tightrope. And like the shoes that pastors are given in our society is like so big. So we're in these big old shoes trying to walk on a tightrope. And like inevitably, that's why like the church planners fall. Like, what is yeah. it? 76% of church planners don't make it past year three. Like, mm -hmm. dang. It's crazy. So we hit year three, and I was like, well, praise God. Well, we did it. I was like, we're still here. We might be limping through. But like. It's like after your first year of having a newborn, like her first birth, her first birthday is more about you as a parent than it is about the baby. <laughs> right. Like you're celebrating like we did it. We made it. Like like she's a little more sturdy now. Like we're, we're okay. We, we, we did okay for a year. Like, <laughs> What a low bar for the church that if you make it to year three, you made it. What a low bar. I mean, when there's all these things to, to, to take you out, though, I mean, it's tough to get there, you know? Yeah, I mean, 100%. we just, we just, you know, off cuff named all these things that are, that, I mean, I mean, we, we joke about them, but like these, these aren't jokes. Like mm -hmm. this, this'll, this'll take you out for, for a week or for a month or, you know, this stuff over, over a long period of time, three years especially. I mean, I mean, it, it's, ta it's taken it's taken better men than me. I'll quote John Mayer and say that. Like it's it's, it's taken better men than me. Depra depravity. Taking better Keep men than me. So so question. So what would you say is like so from the last three to four years that like we didn't been in a game, approaching four here, goodness it's October. So all of yeah. us like quickly approaching four. Yep. What would you say is something that like a nugget that you would say is essential, like for someone who's trying to plant a church, someone who's trying to start a nonprofit, someone who's trying to start a work of justice, like what would you say is something like a nugget that's essential 
for folks like who are praying and discerning in the season, like, man, should I start something? Is God calling me to do something? Well, something to consider. Mm, my number one thing that I would say is before you start it, plan out how you are going to collaborate with what already exists. Because we don't need we don't need to start things that already exist unless God is telling you and you, and there's no doubt in your mind that you have to start a new one. <clears throat> and if you start a new one, how are you going to truly collaborate, not just coexist with others who are doing the same thing? Because the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, there are no segregated saints. There are no lines in between people in the kingdom of God. It is all one. And so you got to figure out how to work well with everyone around you. Yeah. Mm. Yep. One body, many parts. And the body of Jesus Christ is more than just your congregation. Mm-hmm. So what role is your congregation going to play in the grander mm-hmm. scheme of the body of Christ? Yes. Right. Yeah. That's good. That's money. Um, I think, I think for me, it would be, um, <clears throat> there is no fast track or replacement for time well spent. Ooh. Um, I know so many people who are trying to or have tried to parachute in, if you will, to a new city, a new context, uh, a new people group, right? Um, and have not spent enough time listening or getting to know the context that they feel compelled to walk through. And, um, and whenever, you know, it, Whenever we try to do things without first spending plenty of time listening or getting to know people or building relationships or really understanding the heartbeat of what's going on, like, here's the thing, God's, God's already moving, right? Like you're not, you're not going somewhere where God's not, not already moving, right? So like without spending time understanding what God is already doing and understanding the people and the need, um, we are, we are, I'll use this, you know, later for, for another illustration, but we're offering elementary level math solutions to calculus level problems. Mm-hmm. And that's not, that's not going to go anywhere. So time, time well spent, go slow, right? Like with our church planning journey, I know that, that partners that, that we worked with along the way would probably advertise it and say that, you know, we were on this two year, we did this two year on ramp and then we were ready to launch. The reality <laughs> is like this had been going for seven years prior to us ever having a Sunday morning service, prior to ever me giving a sermon, we were working for seven years in this mm-hmm. community. And so um, there is no fast track solution. There is no replacement for time well spent. No doubt. Goodness gracious. Yeah. I would definitely say, like, what you plant will grow. Like, what you plant will grow. Mm-hmm. Like, I've gotten into gardening over the last two years. So in the summer, we have a community garden. I've been, yeah, I did tomatoes last year. This year, I did zucchini and broccoli and different kinds of peppers. And, like, the reality is, like, I can plant a tomato seed. And as much as I pray, as much as I water it, as much as I... Yeah, let the sunlight hit it and weed around it. The reality is if I plant a tomato plant, a tomato seed, tomatoes are going to grow. Like I can't plant a tomato seed and expect green peppers to grow. (laughs) And I think like especially for folks like who seek to do like works of justice, works of equity, works of inclusion for the gospel's sake, folks who want to see like 
the kingdom of God on earth in their context, I think like the way you plant is super important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you cannot plant like seeds of the institution. You can't plant seeds of homogeneity. You can't of homogeneity. Like you can't plant those kind of seeds and expect like a diverse church to grow. Mm-hmm. And this is me as like a black dude, like who's had to like stop and reset and like plant new seeds. Yeah. <laughs> like, Mm-hmm. And plant new seeds, and it's like us, like planting new seeds, like in the middle of year three, like and us, like deep diving and committing to just being in a neighborhood for a long period of time, and planting and watering and waiting for God to give the increase. But yeah, yeah that's what I've learned. Like you can't, yeah, you can't plant tomato seeds and expect green peppers to grow. Like, yo, this is this is gonna be dangerous, right? This is uh, this is this is three three preachers, if if nothing else, three <laughs> preachers on a podcast, and you you asked you asked one question today, uh, so so you know we're gonna find all these all these rabbit trails to go down, uh, all these things to uh, to talk about. Um, so yeah, this is this is gonna be dangerous. You're gonna have to keep that record button uh, and those sound effects to wrap us up uh, tight. Do you have any uh, Do you have any uh, get off stage music? Do you have any wrap it up music for us? No, you JD anybody? Bless up, man. All right, we'll call it. We'll call it right here, and uh, yeah, we'll catch you. We'll catch you on episode two. This is uh, this has been the Bless Up Podcast. Mm-hmm.